Well, good morning. Let me ask you, what did you bring with you to church today? Come on now. If you brought a water bottle, I want to see it. If you brought a stuffed animal, I want to see it. A couple of those. How many brought candy? Lift it up. All right, I'll meet with you afterwards. Thank you. I want you to know I brought something with me this morning. An ocean. Yes, I brought the ocean with me this morning. I'm about to prove it. I'll need you to close your eyes, though, please. Close your... What is this? I say close your eyes and you leave them open. I don't trust you. I'm turning around. I'm not going to show it to you that easy. Here's my ocean. I want you to close your eyes again. Listen to the sounds of the ocean. Well, you can hear those waves crashing upon the sea. See the gulls overhead? See the microfiber blue pillow in my hands? <laughs> That's the ocean. For all of you film would-be people, this is Foley sound effects with stuff that doesn't look like what it would be. Ah. The sound of the ocean takes me to a story of when I was 15 years old. When I was 15, that was the very first time I ever swam in an ocean. Call it a sheltered life, or maybe living in Illinois, I don't know. I was on the Florida coast, and I remember being so excited to finally swim in the ocean. And uh, I began to wade out into those waters, and they were incredibly warm. I couldn't believe this. I was always told the ocean's cold. Well, maybe because it was the Gulf of Mexico, I guess. But I couldn't believe the size of the waves, the force of the waves, and the way you quickly lost any footing on the sand underneath you. This is all new to me, and I can't wait to swim out. I mean, I want to swim out, so I swim way out of that ocean. I'm having a great old time, just cresting on the top of these waves, drifting along, having a great time in the sun, the gulls overhead, drifting and drifting, and then I turned around and looked back, and the people on shore were the size of ants. I had drifted very far indeed. I decided I had doggone well better get closer to shore. So I tried to swim, but those waves were now really pretty thick and pretty tall, and I was pretty small and pretty weak, and I was also pretty scared. What was I going to do? And I'm, I'm trying to swim and making very little progress, and I thought, well, Lord, help me here. I know if I get on my back and kick with my legs, there's usually a little bit of power there, and I started doing that and started making some progress, and, and I finally made it back to shore, and at the time, I was just terrified. I know that seems kind of silly when you look back on it, but I actually thought for a moment there I was going to die off the coast of Florida at the age of 15. Thank God I didn't. You know, um, as frightening as that was for me to be drifting way out into that ocean, I'd like to suggest to you this morning there is a danger that you and I face that is much more serious than that much more serious than drifting too far out on the ocean. And we face it every day. You say, what could be more powerful, more dangerous than that? Spiritual drift is the answer. Spiritual drift. I want to read with you about it in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. As you turn there in your paper Bible, I hope, for the unspiritual, there's a tablet, there's an iPhone. <laughs> You don't take notes in that thing. Oh, yeah, I do. And then you upgrade and you lose those notes. 
All right, having chastised you, let me read Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. This passage packs a punch. I remember when Jocelyn, our first grandchild, was just three years old, something life-changing, something epic happened to her. It rocked her world, turned it upside down. You know what it was? A little baby brother was born. And she, who was the queen of the kingdom, the focus of all attention, had to share it with that pesky little brother who had the nerve to come home from the hospital, live in her own home. And, and here's the thing. You know, babies, they're cute, right? And so when Josie was with us, but Caleb made a cute little sound, where was our attention? Right here, right now, right? Caleb. So, so Josie's on my lap, facing me, and she's engaged in telling a story. The story should have taken 15 seconds, but Jocelyn's specialty is taking a 15-second story and making it 15 minutes. Now, we can all go too long with details. This child, it's her, it's her spiritual gift. She's in the middle of a 15-minute story, and Caleb is cooing, and I'm looking over and I go back, and then she goes out, and Caleb coos again, and I'm looking over. She'd had enough. She takes her little tiny fingers, Josie does, and she sees me looking at Caleb, and she goes like this. Vroom. She just, just whips my head around and says, pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. Listen, if I see any of you drifting off this morning, I might just say that to you, so stay away. Pay attention to me. I think God is saying something similar in this Hebrews 2 passage this morning. Pay attention to me. Why? This is serious stuff. I see two dangers in this text. Let's look at them now. Danger number one, drifting from our faith. Drifting from our faith. Did you notice how serious this is laid out in Scripture? Notice the language. It's not, we probably should pay attention. Instead, we must, absolute imperative, must pay not just regular attention, but much attention. Not just pay much attention, but much closer attention. They couldn't have written it any more strongly, could they, right? Why this intense warning? We must pay much closer attention. Why? Why such an intense warning? Two reasons. Reason number one, drifting is natural. Drifting is natural. For our anniversary last year, I took Di I stepped up. I really did. I took Diana on a beautiful cruise, a spectacular cruise for dinner in East Moline, Illinois, <laughs> on the Mississippi River. It was actually, don't knock it, we had prime rib. It was really pretty good. But I noticed the celebration bell was this fake paddle wheel thing. It was really kind of nice. But 
when we, uh, when we arrived at the dock, before anybody got off or anybody got on, the one thing they did immediately was throw out these great big thick ropes. They call them mooring lines, right? So they're fastening that boat to the pier. You've, the, to the, the pier. You've seen that. Now, now, why do they fasten those ropes? Because the boat might drift. Really? Because the boat will drift. 100% chance. And the Bible is similarly laced with these kinds of warnings. Deuteronomy 11.16, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. That's drifting. Drifting. Joshua 23, verse 6, be very firm then to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. That would be drifting. Or Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, later in the book we're looking at now. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's drifting. Drifting is natural. It's natural. Not only that, drifting is certain. You say, I'm not drifting. I love Jesus. I do too. But I'm drifting. And you're drifting. I guarantee it. How, you say? Through daily choices. See, the biblical definition of drifting means to slip away, to escape from one's mind. Drifting is guaranteed to happen when we are passive and not active in following after Christ. So if you missed your Bible reading this week, you're drifting. If you may be shortchanged or missed your time in prayer this week, you're drifting. If you, if you have even un, one unconfessed sin in your life right now, you're drifting. If you've harbored so much as a selfish thought this last week, you're drifting. Notice I'm not saying you're headed for hell. I'm saying you're drifting. I'm not saying you're a horrible person. I'm not saying you're backsliding uncontrollably. I am slaying, saying you've slipped away, just like me, out there in that ocean struggling, struggling. I was not actively swimming at first, right? Therefore, I was drifting. And so what I'm trying to tell us this morning is that we are all slowly, almost constantly, drifting away from the things of God. This is not just human nature. This is our old nature, right? It's our sin nature. Hebrews 2.1 We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Somehow in our culture we get this idea, we, we, we got born again, isn't that wonderful? Waha, it's all good. Well, in the sense that our eternal destiny is determined, yes, that's wonderful. But we're going to drift. And terrible things can happen if we allow it. Why, why is it, you ask, such a big deal to drift a little bit? Well, how could that possibly be that big a deal? We can always come right back, can't we? If we drift a little now and then. The answer is, it's a big deal because drifting a little leads to drifting a lot. I dare you to write that down in the margin of your Bible. Drifting a little leads to drifting a lot. You think about that. John Piper says there is no standing still. The life of this world is not a lake, it is a river. 
and it is flowing downward to destruction. If you do not listen carefully to Jesus and consider him daily and fix your eyes on him hourly, then you will not stand still. You will go backward. You will float by. Drift. Drift. Which takes us to reason number two for why we must pay much closer attention. Reason number two, drifting is deadly. Drifting is deadly. Uh, consider David. He conquered a giant. He uh, defeated the Philistines. He wrote great psalms, right? All those great accomplishments. And then what? He began to drift somehow at some point drift just a little to the point where he thought it was okay to sleep with another man's wife. Wow, that's drifting. Drifting so far that he thought it would be okay, he'd fix the problem by killing this wife's husband to make it look okay for him. That's drifting. That's deadly. Wow. Consider Ananias and Sapphira. Wonderful couple, I'm sure. Part of the early New Testament church. There at the beginning, there at the grassroots, in on it from the start. I bet they heard great sermons. I bet they sang wonderful praise and worship choruses. I bet they knew all the Gettys music. I bet they went to prayer meeting regularly. But somewhere along the line, they began to drift, didn't they? They began to drift to the point where they sold a parcel of land and lied about its value and what they'd done with it to the apostles. And they were killed on the spot, right? You know the story. <laughs> That's deadly drifting. Deadly drifting. How about some modern examples of spiritual drift? All right, let's do it. Example A, Katy Perry. Katy Perry was raised in a conservative Christian home, and somewhere along the line, she began to drift. You want to know where that drifting has taken her? In an interview with Marie Claire, she says, quote, I don't believe in a heaven or a hell or an old man sitting on a throne. I believe in a higher power bigger than me because that keeps me accountable. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not Hindu. I'm not Christian. But I still feel like I have a deep connection with God. Well, Katie, I, I guess I'm glad you feel good. But you ought to feel like you're drifting because you have. What a far drift she's gone. Example B, Brad Pitt, raised by two devout Baptist parents, sang in the church choir. Now, however, Pitt hovers between atheist and agnostic because he says the church experience was something he never quite uh, understood. He once called his Christian upbringing stifling. At a press conference, he stated, quote, I grew up with Christianity, and I remember questioning it greatly. I grew up being told God is going to take care of everything, and it doesn't always work out that way. And then you're told, well, well, it's God's will. I got my issues, man. You don't want to get me started. Well, you've already got yourself started, Brad. <laughs> way, way, way far away. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. If drifting is so natural, and it is, and if drifting is so deadly, you ask, well, how can we avoid it? 
Thanks for asking the all-important question. I think the Bible gives us three cues. Cue number one, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Hey, when was the last time you did a spiritual self-inventory? You ever done that? When was the last time you invited somebody to be honest enough with you about this business of spiritual drifting? Hmm. Cue number one, if you and I are going to avoid spiritual drifting, examine yourselves. Cue number two, grip the word. Grip the word. I like Philippians 2, verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Hey, are you holding fast to the word of life or just kind of reading it once in a while? There's a big difference. Holding fast. Regular time spent pondering Scripture will build your spiritual grip, keep you from drifting. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Grip the word. Grip the word. That's our second cue. Our third, follow the pattern. 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We've got so many great examples in Scripture, don't we? So many great examples in Christian history. My goodness. Uh, a cloud of witnesses, Scripture calls them. Let's follow their pattern. If we are not actively following Christ, we are most certainly drifting away. Drifting away. There's a second danger in this passage we must not miss. And this is for anyone who has never received Christ's offer of forgiveness. I want you to look at Hebrews 2, verse 3. Third verse of this little paragraph we're studying. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. You know, it's possible you could actually neglect the Bible's offer of salvation. Isn't that awful? <laughs> neglect it? It's possible you could hear this sermon, but never know Christ. It's possible you could attend church regularly, but never know Christ. It's possible you could be a really good person, and I suspect everybody in this room is. But you could be a good person and never know Christ. Talk about danger. It's the ultimate danger. Why? Because eternity is at stake. Heaven and hell are real. And hell, according to the Bible, is where most people are headed. John 3, 17 and 18. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Can you imagine being in a courtroom and having that said of you? Condemned. Condemned. Oof. condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
That's the reason for the condemnation. Not because they weren't good enough. Not because they didn't give enough. Condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Have you ever done that? If not, you have neglected this great salvation. Don't neglect Christ's offer of salvation. Receive Him today. You know, every week at this church, we have a great and grand tradition. The elders are here. The deaconesses are here. Standing, waiting to talk, to pray. And they will pray with you. There's no nonsense, no fooling around. No one's going to sell you anything. It's a great moment to stop neglecting Christ's offer of salvation. The Boeing 747 left JFK Airport in New York City August 30th, 10 minutes before midnight. On board Korean Airlines Flight 007, 246 passengers and a crew of 23. They left New York City, flew west to Anchorage, Alaska, landed, refueled, and took off, heading for Seoul, Korea. About 10 minutes after takeoff, the plane began to drift about 10 miles north. And it stayed on this deviated heading for the next five and a half hours. Far enough off course to raise some eyebrows, but not really sound any alarms. In the cockpit, inattention to navigational detail, turned required waypoints, these are check-ins places, into sort of uh, vague suggestions. At 565 miles an hour, the Boeing aircraft nosed forward, forward, onward, now 60 nautical miles off course. Not long before it was 100 miles off course. Ultimately, the plane flew 160 nautical miles off course into the far east of Russian airspace, clearly over Russian airspace, at which point Russian General Valery Kamensky was handed a report about this foreign aircraft drifting into Soviet airspace. He immediately gave an order to destroy the plane. Seconds later, a flash, a detonation of a bomb just behind the Boeing 747. Shrapnel puncturing the plane's aluminum skin, causing a sudden loss of cabin pressure. Somehow the captain was able to retain limited control of the plane for a long time until it began to descend into slow spirals, very slow, slow spiral. Aviation experts analyzing the data concluded that the the plane had at least 12 minutes in the air after being hit until it pancaked onto the hardest cement ocean. Get this gruesome detail? Everyone on board would have been fully conscious until the instant of final impact. There were no survivors. Don't miss this. Evidence from the uh, cockpit voice recorder affirms the crew was unaware they were off course. Unaware. They did not know they had violated Soviet airspace. If only they had bothered to check. 269 lives lost. Brothers and sisters, I am asking you, I am begging you this morning, 
as I'm talking to myself, check your own course as I check mine. A spiritual crash with eternal casualties is at stake here. If we are not actively following Christ, we are certainly drifting away. Drifting toward disaster. Drifting toward disconnect from Christ. Drifting toward sin we could never imagine we would one day tolerate, let alone embrace. Hebrews 2 verse 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. We sang the song earlier. But would you join me in singing that familiar chorus? I think it is such a fitting, fitting uh, exclamation point on today's look at Hebrews 2. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Let's sing it. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it, seal it for the courts above.